Hey everybody, welcome to Shoot the Ship Podcast. Uh, today's going to be a little bit more of a serious episode, especially in light with, uh, with everything that's been going around and with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and uh, in relation to uh, the horrific events that has been uh, shown in light recently. We're going to start off the episode uh, with a, a guest question, essentially not even a question, but a guest uh, response uh, on the topic. It's really well thought out, really well spoken. Um, and it's by one of our classmates, Marcus. Uh, thank you for sharing this. So, Marcus, why don't you start us off? Big shout out to Mo and Dilshan. Thanks for using your podcast this week to shed light on this topic. Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. Um, personally speaking, watching these videos, uh, these killings on camera, have been emotionally jarring. I remember uh, seeing the video of Ahmed Aubrey's killing. It was two days before our anatomy bell ringer, and I didn't plan to see that video that day. I mean, nobody does, but but when you when you see the young man struggling with the gun and you hear the shots being fired, you when you identify with the victim. I, I, I just internalized that video and it left me with the rest of the day just 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 with hate, feeling of hate. And, and it just like changed the whole trajectory of my day. I couldn't even study for the rest of that day. And, uh, and I seen this meme recently, um, which made me think of this situation, especially when it happened again with George Floyd, is that when you see these videos, you're you're left being put in the position of a, a an emotional war with yourself where you either a numb yourself to it and ignore that it exists or you're forced thinking about it for the rest of the day talking about it for the rest of the day and and that's the situation that we're in so moving forward i just want to i, I want to first of all i want to thank all those that are in support and recognition that 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 recognize that this is injustice that these injustices exist and and I thank you for your support but moving forward there will this will pass and there will be a time where you are where you will be in rooms where you will witness these injustices these acts of racism uh, and in that situation, I want you to channel the emotion that you have right now when you're seeing these videos that want, that need to do something, that feeling of wanting to do something. I want you to channel that in the future when you experience these injustices. And I want you to check your colleagues, check your peers, check your folks, especially when working in positions of power. That's not only those that are working in law enforcement, but it's to the members of the government, to the members of the judicial system, to the future teachers, and more close to us, the future healthcare professionals, current and future, actually. Um, it's through these actions that we're able to dismantle this systemic racism, the systemic injustice that exists within our society. And with that said, uh, I just wanna thank you guys again uh, Mo and Dilshan, and uh, hopefully we get to have some deep top, deep talks um, uh, under a different situation. 
I'm a young black man doing all that I can to stand. Oh, but when I look around and I see what's being done to My people don't want no trouble We had enough of the struggle I just want to live I just want to live I just want to Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Shoot the Ship podcast with your host, Big Mo, and your other host, Ilshan. Yeah, I still messed that up, but we're going to keep a yeah, secret. <laughs> we're going to keep a little more, um, a, a more serious episode today uh, in light of what's been going on. Um, now the intro that we just played right now, that was actually by Keydron Bryant, a very, very talented young uh, black man uh, that uploaded uh, that song actually May 28th. Now, what we just heard was a tribute to that uh, by Kalante Gavin. And this was in made in tribute to George Floyd, uh, who recently passed away, as many of us may have seen on social media. And uh, that has uh, essentially been a catalyst of sorts for a lot of, uh, uh, of, of, of riots and protests that have been going now and a lot of the uh, All Black Lives Matter movements. Um, so it's a yep. very troublesome time. And normally this is our uh, our week to do episode with just me and Mo, but we thought, uh, given the subject matter, uh, we'd bring in some people who would all have really good perspectives to offer and to give us a good discussion about the topic. So uh, this will have them introduce our, introduce themselves. Uh, so we have uh, Justice from episode two we have caleb from episode six and we have two new guests to the podcast uh, ariel and we have uh zikra uh uh two new guests of the podcast welcome and thanks for joining us on this very special episode yeah. thank you guys really 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 appreciate that guys um yeah you know the time is it's very difficult but Again, this is one of those um, moments where we got to stick our necks out. You know, we got to reach out to our classmates. We got to reach out to our friends and our family. We got to make it personal. We got to make this something that people can relate to something in their lives. And that's what we're here to do. And that's something we can do, right? Um, let's just share our experiences. Let's share our thoughts on the matter and uh, try to get some news out there. Cool? Hello. <laughs> What's up, Caleb? Hi. What up, Justice? Hey y'all. What up, Zikra? Uh, Ariel, your mic was muted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so actually with what what's been going on lately, um, we've been seeing a lot in the news. Um uh you know, we've all seen uh, the George Floyd who passed away at the uh 
at, 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 um, due to his interactions with a police officer, uh, where the police officer had his knee on his neck um, for far too long, um, even to his pleading. Um, and that led to a lot of injustices really being shared. Um, and it's not like these injustices were never shared before. This was always shared, but this is this has started something really big. Uh, it's really moving, and uh, I'm glad that we're talking about it now. Right. So we have a sorry for the noises. My neighbor upstairs, I think, is just deciding to move some stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, we got a lot of clips going on. So we have Killer Mike, who's actually talking about this matter um, and explaining his feelings on it. And this is what he said. I had to say. I'm mad as hell I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die he casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw and we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. I'm glad they only took down a sign and defaced a building and they're not killing human beings like that policeman did. I'm glad that they only destroyed some brick and mortar and they didn't rip a father from a son. They didn't rip a, fa a son from a mother like the policeman did. I, I guess actually a lot of us right now, especially with we're cooped up with COVID and seeing the news and seeing what's going on, a lot of us are mad. I don't know how are you guys feeling right now lately. Do you guys do you guys feel like this has been getting down to you guys at all? You know, me personally, I almost feel unfazed just because uh, it's almost expected for this to happen at like a at a regular interval of time, like every six months, twelve months. Uh, there's something like this that happens, and this is just the ones that are reported. And at this point, it's an expectation. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. Yeah. No, after you. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say like it, I totally agree. Like it's we we see we see a lot of this stuff happening like being recorded, but there's also yeah, there's also a ton of it that probably isn't recorded, and and like who who knows how how many times this happens on like a daily basis or weekly basis that's just not caught on tape, it goes unheard. Um, in terms of the George Floyd stuff, I I feel like maybe that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and. And you know we're seeing all the social media movements and the the support coming in from a lot of people as well, and I think that's I'm I'm happy to see that people are there for you guys during this time because it's, I know it's really I imagine it's really distressing to see even even though it's been happening all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know with this all being on social media, I guess the one thing that it's like. I don't know about you guys, but I've been, just because I've been so trapped and so cooped up, and I don't even know what's going on, to be honest, I feel confused and annoyed and bothered all the time, right? It's kind of like what uh, Killer Mike was saying at the end, it just feels like like violence porn that's popping up sometimes when I'm, when I'm, when I'm online, I don't know what, what the hell is going on, and right, it's frustrating. But then I start seeing certain posts and certain things that actually get me even more bottled up and more angry. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any posts on like, say, All Lives Matter. Or yeah, when that yeah. starts, yeah, when that starts popping up, right? Uh, oh, man, and um, like all lives do matter. So, but sorry, Zikra. I was just, I mean, like 
we've all seen that the all lives matter thing has kind of always been there like since the beginning of black lives matter we saw all lives matter pretty much come in like immediately and that was a rhetoric i saw a lot going to guelph especially like that was pretty prevalent there but i think what was really surprising to me is also just maybe some of the feelings from some of like some of our classmates and that shocked me i was actually just i was just i didn't know what to do and i think i saw you comment about it and i just i just read through them and i was just so sad to even see those and it's been really difficult over the past few days just logging into social media and just seeing you know a lot of people who are talking about justice but then there's also some of the people who are very negative and just seeking to kind of pull everything down and that's Peter, can you tell me a bit about the things that made you sad i think it was just it was from the perspective of someone else who was also a minority but who wasn't black and i think they felt like the fact that they were a minority gave them the right to kind of you know say like well these other groups are also affected but we don't see them like talking about it so much so why are you guys kind of always upset and that just was like it was just so shocking to see that someone in our class would feel that way we we were a class with like lots of different people and the whole idea was to bring people with lots of different backgrounds and you know a diverse class different experiences different lived experiences and uh, you you would get people that you know may you know sadly uh ignorant and um it's very easy to feel threatened by like um by like a movement that uh, you're not a part of i think so um like you can you can imagine like why someone would write something like that but that's no excuse like it's no excuse for it sorry mm -hmm. it's just like you didn't even take time to think about what your classmates would feel but i don't know i don't know it's tough it's tough to it's tough to think about like the whole thing like i remember the first time for me the first the first um um the first the first ball that dropped was like the the um i think Ahmed Aubrey um um martyr like that that was like like that day when i saw that video i was really traumatized because i i couldn't just imagine like someone could lose their life in that way and um i i don't know i told i think i told someone like just like it almost drove me to just like feeling so sad and hopeless because like just seeing that happen and like seeing that like that could happen to anyone with like a black um um that's black it's just like really painful it hurts it hurts so much so deeply and um um i am grateful for like you know how like a lot of people seem to condemn it and um and um are like you know showing that that so showing that you know, there's hope and that we can do something and this looks like there's a movement that looks like you know going forward like this can change things can change i'm hopeful uh, i hope that you know things change going forward mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of people kind of like sympathizing and expressing their shock and belief and disbelief at this happening but i'm also kind of like disheartened by that shock because every six months the same thing happens and um same people appear to be shocked every single time as if it won't happen again and you know it's kind of 
it's kind of like what's happening there. Um, there's a shock every single time this happens, but it should almost be expected at this point. And it just reminds me of something that I heard a couple of days. Like there's a kind of like guise of innocence among people that don't experience this. Like, oh, I didn't know that this happened. I didn't know that um, black people were systemically oppressed in such a way. But how can you not when every single six months on the news, it comes up and it comes up and it comes up. And it's kind of like almost a false innocence because you're looking away to be innocent. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Like it makes you wonder. Um, maybe, maybe people, at some part of them, like they they want to look away because if they're forced to look at it, like and you know they they see what they see, then they have they, I guess, have an obligation to do something about it. And maybe maybe some people aren't ready for that. And that's yeah, that's probably I, definitely true. Because even myself, like I think I haven't even watched the video yet because. I don't want to see that like it, it would it would put me in such a bad mood it would it would make me feel the feelings of depression and despair that justice is feeling earlier and i'm almost looking away from that in a sense even as a black person so it really is a kind of like a seductive thing to do in this situation so mm-hmm. and you know as as like one thing is that we're i find that we're so privileged that we don't experience these day-to-day uh, troubles actually Right. Like for us, we still also see this news and we also get shocked, not maybe as shocked as everyone else. Right. Because we still have, you know, that 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 awareness of what it's like to be black. But at least in my own personal experience, I, I've, I've never had to really fear being shot, really fear being pulled over, really fear. You know, like I don't have that nearly as much as um, a lot of other folks may have. Um, so I, I feel like actually even talking about the situation like this is, is I find very difficult right um, I do have some of my own lived experiences but even then it never will get, go like it's never gotten so far as to um, what's happened with what we've seen with uh, George Floyd or Ahmad Arbery or uh, really actually so many of the other other clips that I'm gonna share with you guys um, that's been happening throughout the years but there's one actually that really 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 got to me um, I don't know if you guys have seen this clip. It was a clip of the uh, lady walking her dog in the park. Uh, yeah. So there, there was a lady walking her dog that. in the park. Yeah, I'll actually play that for you guys right now. So there was a lady walking a dog in the park. Uh, it's way better with the video, but uh, you know, at least we'll get to be able to talk about it. So I'll just I'll play it uh, right now for us here. Will you please stop? Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. Please, please call the cops. Please call. Just to give context as to where we are right now, the person right now who's speaking is actually a a black male who is uh, going to a local park uh, where he, I I guess, I believe he watches birds. Uh, Now, in this park, you're supposed to keep your dog on a leash. Um, It's not too many people follow it. The lady was walking with her dog, a white lady. and the person was not uh, the person who was speaking with the camera was not happy about that and asked her to please leash her dog. Um, and then this was actually recorded, and you see that the lady uh, was really unhappy and threatened to call the police on him. 
but uh, here is the confrontation. Claps. I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Excuse me? I'm sorry, I'm in the Lambo, and there's a man, African-American, he has a bicycle helmet. He's recording me and threatening me and my dog. There is an African-American man, I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man in the Ramble. Please send the cops immediately. I'm in Central Park in the Ramble. I don't know. Thank you. See, and that's what bothers me. It's right there. It's the fact that she's able to use the police force as a weapon against him or as a threat as a weapon against him. Threatening to use essentially his color of his skin against him on calling the cops essentially as a power move that got to me yeah that really hit i don't know if you guys have ever felt like this something like this has ever happened to you guys before have you guys ever have you guys ever felt threatened because of the color of your skin like has someone ever tried to use that against you before definitely um i guess anytime you're walking in the night and let's say a smaller woman comes and walks across the street, you feel that as yourself. You feel like you're that African-American man that maybe could be a threat. And sometimes the way people act kind of confirms that idea that you are the threat. And it makes you question that. And in that sense, I do feel that sometimes. Mm -hmm. No, thanks for sharing that, Ariel. I, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> I was asking, actually asking uh, a couple of the guys earlier, I was saying, hey, do you guys ever actually feel, this exact same question, this exact same point you just said, do you ever feel uncomfortable to walk in the night as a black guy? I feel it all the time. I have exactly what you said. I feel that same feeling. I feel like, I feel like I'm trying not to appear menacing in any sort of way. Not to say that black folks are menacing, but I feel like someone could discriminate me for what I am and think that I, I, I am, you know, um, uh, that could cause them trouble or that could cause the police on me or whatever. Right. It's a it's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's a very, very horrible. It feels like it, it, it cannot be comfortable. I don't even like walking out at night for that very reason, to be honest. As someone who does have um, who does have a, an older brother, um, and he's obviously a black man, and he's a tall guy, and I mean he's a pretty small guy, but he's tall, and we have had these conversations where he's like, you know, he's trying to talk to somebody, or um, he's trying to help somebody with something, and they're like so scared of him, and or you know situations where he feels extremely my my brother, if any of you have ever met him. He doesn't talk about cops very friendly in a very friendly way, you know, like he he loves to drive fast cars and he loves to, you know, do all of that stuff. And he's had a lot of run ins with cops and it's it can be really scary for me and even for my family in general, because we see all these things that, you know, people are pulled over and they, you know, they were maybe driving too fast or doing something. And then all of a sudden they're pulled over and they're injured or they're shot by the police. Um, and so I'm always like, kind of like telling him like, please don't talk back too much. Like, I know that you, you get really frustrated and really angry with stuff like this, but please like, just keep in mind that, you know, I know we live in Canada and maybe these issues are not as prevalent, but please keep in mind that like, it's still an issue here and you have to be careful in how you approach police just in case something like this can happen. Like, 
I'm just always scared that that's going to happen, especially when he was younger and a lot, just way more angry about it. And now he's a little bit less angry about it, but it's still something that I'm constantly talking to him about because I'm just so scared for him. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and I think that goes back to like, you know, the, the different reality that black people and in particular black men must face in this reality. It's not just going to the supermarket, it's going to the supermarket while black. It's not just going to a restaurant. It's going to a restaurant while black. And that comes with a whole bunch of kind of like aura around it. So when you go to a restaurant, you're thinking things like, oh, does this person think that I'm going to tip them less because I'm black? Or, oh, does this person think that I speak a certain way because I'm black? It's that type of, it's that type of unsaid kind of like feeling that follows you around the place that I think most people that are black feel to some degree. And I definitely feel sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, with that actually said, it's, it's exactly that. It's like, you know, doing anything while you're black because, you know, if you're doing something while you're black, you're black, right? So like, there's a couple of videos I want to show you. Driving while you're black, gardening while you're black, and the run-ins that they faced. Now, the fact that having that idea of being discriminated against even like even if it's not you know uh what's the word here uh it's not clearly observant like it's not something that you can clearly say this truly happened sometimes I even feel like you're applying to jobs and when i'd be like okay did they take me did they do it did they avoid me because i'm black you know what i mean like it that it starts creeping even in the in the in the psyche and it makes you uncomfortable in society and just i find i personally it makes me angry sometimes Right? It actually puts me away from applying to certain things. Um, you know, sometimes even the joke, um, and I say this with a couple of the guys here, it's like, you say it with a joke, you're like, man, imagine dating that family as a black guy. Like, you're dating a girl, let's say. And you think, how do you think that family's gonna, how do you think the family's gonna take it? Right? I think, as much as a joke as it can be, it's a real thought that happens. And it feels like you have to be extra good, if that makes sense. Because you never know what you're gonna get. So I don't know. I wonder. I wonder if you guys ever think like that, Caleb. I wonder what you think. Oh yeah, I, I can totally relate on that. Um, yeah, you feel like you have to be kind of on alert uh, a lot of times. Make sure you don't uh, make certain mistakes because when you make a mistake, it's different from say maybe when a white person makes makes a mistake. Uh, especially if it involves the law or something like that, and I think that's a I think that's a common discussion that black parents have with their black children. At least in my case, like my parents told me, you know, you you got to be extra careful um, because if uh, if people see you misbehaving, they're gonna think that oh yeah, of course he's he's a black boy. That's what they do. Uh, whereas if maybe like a white peer did the exact same act, it might be seen as kind of like a one-off situation uh, and it might not uh, be dealt with as seriously. So yeah, there's there's always that on the mind. And I, I think that like by this point, like it's, it's just kind of become natural. Like sometimes I don't even notice. Like, I feel like it's just become like part of the way I act. Uh, but I don't know if anybody else relates with that i absolutely do i can say that same yeah 
Definitely had those talks as a kid. Actually, <laughs> Dilshan, I'm curious. You ever get talks like that? I know you're uh, a person yeah, of color. I'm not black, surprise, everybody who's <laughs> listening and doesn't know me. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's an interesting topic around dating because, um, like, thank goodness my family is very, like, open and accepting and i haven't i haven't experienced this personally but i've seen other um i guess people with like brown families you know the parents have a different kind of caution when it comes to like dating black people i've seen it before and it's it, it just sucks like it kind of it's it's kind of like the flip side of what you guys are saying about how you know you have to be on that extra vigilant behavior uh because of being black and this is sort of like because of these types of people like who have who are like particularly prejudiced towards towards you guys and like i, I, don't, I don't know what that's like i never experienced it thank goodness but that's that's so stressful to have to think about that all the time yeah i think like for me like definitely that same thing has kind of happened but maybe slightly differently. Like, I mean, you guys probably, a lot of you probably already know this, but I grew up in Brampton um, and Brampton has a very, very large and very dominant South Asian community. And it's something I experienced a lot growing up, especially majority of my friends um, were South Asian growing up in Brampton. Um, And, you know, being, still having quite a bit of black people around Brampton. Like, I think it's probably like, second or third largest like ethnic group kind of around here is still black people um and a lot of times like i might have been like the only black person in my class so i felt like i had to act a certain way because there were a lot of my south asian peers who were expecting me to be a certain type of way and people being extremely shocked about me and who i am and what i wanted to do and all of that type of stuff that was something i constantly dealt with um but especially being like when i was younger a bit like you know, having, I like, I remember having a friend who was like, oh, like, you know, my family doesn't really like me, like, super hanging out with you or something like that. And just because of how I look, and it's really interesting to me because I'm like, well, like, I don't know what they think about me because they don't even really know me. But it's still like, I have to, like, be on this, like, best behavior all the time when I'm like, I don't think I'm a bad person. I don't think I have to be on my best behavior because I feel like me just being me is probably good enough, but it felt like it wasn't. And you always had to be better and you always had to put in more effort in class to like try and impress the teacher so they didn't think that you weren't you know good enough to put attention to or to put effort into teaching and all of that was just so stressful but i think somehow that kind of translated into trying to like just constantly be the best at everything and it's just it's it's very very stressful and it's just really draining and you can totally see how people get angry as a result of that right you can bottle that up and that's us coming in a situation where we get that social pressure, but let alone people actually getting directly harassed, like Ahmad Arbery, um, may he rest in peace, where he was, for lack of a better word, really hunted down. Um, Literally hunted down. And that that one really messed up my day when I saw that, because regardless, the, 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 that was horrific. That was horrific. Um, and that really put me on edge. And that, that like, even more in that situation where we were talking about, like, just walking around at night, that feeling of, like, oh, they're going to think maybe I'm a... Actually, you, wanna, you guys want to know something. This happened before. I was in a store in Peterborough. I was uh, maybe 9, 10, I don't know. And I was with my, um, some of my closest friends. 
uh, half Filipino, Filipino. And we were in a mall and we were just looking around and, you know, just walking in the store and not just looking through stuff. And actually I was being very conservative, just like, you know, kind of keeping to myself, barely touching anything. And then as we're leaving the store, the store owner, who we thought was actually someone filling in for the store owner at the time, just starts yelling at me, at me specifically, and telling me to come back here. And I'm saying, what's going on? He's like, you, you're going to have to pay for this stuff. You've been opening, you've been touching, you've been all this stuff. And he's yelling at me and accusing me of just taking stuff and opening it and all this random, uh, like, just shouting. And this was the first time I've ever experienced someone blatantly yelling at me for something that I really didn't do. But I knew it was a sort of, there, I knew there was a prejudice going on here. There was, it was due to the color of my skin here, right? Especially that there was the other groups, the other kids with us who were not black, right? Did not get this treatment at all. He said, and my friends were standing up for me and said, no, you guys are good. You guys can go. It's just him. In fact, the other store owner across actually came over and said, I was watching and the kid did nothing. You leave him alone. He didn't bother anybody uh, and actually stood up for me. I appreciate that allyship right then and there. I didn't know the term ally. I never heard of that before, but no, that, that was a real ally at the time. Someone who just stood up for me in my time of need then and there. And it was amazing. But that was... Ever since then, I'll be honest, um, I don't feel that comfortable going to stores randomly. <laughs> like I don't want to just walk in and out of a store. And Caleb, I think you mentioned this before too. Um, yeah, yeah. You walk walk into a store, uh, and you, when you walk out, when you haven't bought anything, you trying to look <laughs> uh, like not suspicious. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like I don't know. I, I do it all the time. Like when I when I'm walking out of the store and I haven't bought anything, like I'll walk slowly, maybe make eye contact with the <laughs> with the workers there, just so they know I'm not like being suspicious or something. Uh, yeah. I'll an add-on to that. Like sometimes I'll make sure that like my hands aren't in my pockets, so it doesn't look like I'm <laughs> hiding anything in any pockets. Like just make sure that my hands are so clear that you can see that I didn't take anything. Like yeah, swing, swinging the arms and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now there was there was a there was a topic that we talked about earlier about the 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 one post about um, talking about all lives matter. Actually, so Ariel, just to really explain a little bit more on that, there they were talking. Um, on that post, sorry, it's a huge switch, but <laughs> they were talking about um, uh, how the indigenous lives, um, is, like the, all the tra uh, tragedy and all the uh, injustices, like the missing indigenous women, um, essentially is being ignored by the media, right? There, you know, there's some news here and there, but it's not, it didn't gain this traction that, you know, we're seeing with Black Lives Matter. And, and, and that, that seemed to be the reason why uh, they were upset. Right, and it's a very reasonable thing to be upset about. I think they're just coming about it the wrong way, if that makes sense. Um, like, there's no reason to put down another movement, another injustice, just to get one injustice, right? So, I I know Opie felt like that 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 the person felt that way, but I think it's important. Not to shame, but more to educate, because they seem ignorant, as Justice was saying earlier. I think they just seemed ignorant to the topic. I think I think they seemed ignorant, and they were 
angry and suspicious, if anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think part of it too is like, if when you hear about like all lives matter on the very, very surface level, it's like, oh yeah, all lives matter. Yeah, this is a, this is a good message. Like, mm-hmm. of course, it's supportive. But then, like, when you actually see what it's about, it's like literally a protest against a protest. Like, mm-hmm. like, and, and maybe, maybe they didn't know that or like like you're saying it's understandable to be upset that like maybe their group didn't get as much traction but yeah there's, there's no point to bring down another group like mm-hmm. you know everyone should be helping each other out and i'm sure if the tables were turned like you know the black community would be there for them too um, mm-hmm. if there's something like this that happened as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah i don't know what do you what do you guys think about it I, yeah, I would just like to, what you guys said is spot on, like, when you, when you use a banner like All Lives Matter, you take the destructive approach, which is tearing down another community to kind of like, say, here, this is also important, which it is, but you're, you're going through it in an avenue that was designed to take down another cause. So if you were, for example, to just reiterate things outside of that politicized movement of all lives matter it would have not have had such a destructive uh, kind of like tone to it because you were you were raising another issue rather than destroying something and then raising another issue which is uh which is you know kind of a a very polarizing approach Mm -hmm. actually i want to even add to that it's just exactly that it's like that would have been a fantastic platform to talk about hey look at the injustices that's also going on in the indigenous community and a little bit of education on that because to be honest i was actually like i knew a little bit but not that much right and after this post i did research a little bit more right however what is the forefront on our mind on the topic it's that all lives matter portion they didn't say it but like that's the idea and that's that's the issue is now it's taking away from both the black lives matter and the uh, the the injustices that's going on to the indigenous movement, right? Because realistically, all lives do matter. But that's what the point of Black Lives Matter is. That's what the point of talking about these uh, these these issues are um, and trying to tackle them. And actually, that's really what the point of these riots and what's going on now. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, like, this whole Black Lives Matter, like, I think people are getting uncomfortable because it's like, only Black Lives Matter. And this problem just occurs again and again in different areas. For example, when we talk about, you know, uplifting our black communities through actual governmental policies, there's the same pushback that goes back uh, every single time. For example, um, when, um, what's it called, what's it called? Affirmative action was a thing in the States. Everyone was like, they're getting unfair treatment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I see those arguments. And I see how it looks like that on the surface, but a deeper approach shows that there needs to be special attention paid to these communities. I don't know if affirmative action is the best way to do that, but there needs to be some special attention so that these communities are not left behind because of the generational trauma and generational history behind them. So when we're saying Black Lives Matter, we're pointing a spotlight towards a community which didn't have a spotlight on it before. That's why Black Lives Matter as opposed to All Lives Matter. Of course, All Lives Matter, but at one point, Black Lives didn't matter as much. They were three-fifths 
as important. Mm. And that actually reminds me too um, on the topic of like you know changing policies and things. Um, so for med school admissions, uh, we know that our school had the BSAP program, and I was asked by one of my friends to like, kind of ask you guys about this. I think it's a good topic to bring up as well. Like, what is what is that process one and two? Like, sort of how does how does it work and what are your guys' thoughts on it in general? So I think. I think it would be important you know, for some of our listeners to learn more about what this process is and why we have it and uh, get your guys' perspectives on it. And just, yeah, to, gonna... just, to, just to add in really quick, BSAP is the Black Students Application Program. Yep. Uh, that's what the acronym stands for. Uh, yep, Ariel, if you'd like to go. That briefly, and then I'll let someone else take the stage. So my opinions on BSAP are that it is a really good way of going about that uh, process of you know, shining a light on certain communities and allowing them to overcome certain barriers that are systemically and uh, in other ways put on certain communities. And there's a BSAP and there's also an ISAP, so uh, Indigenous Student Application Program, which I think are great because Canada needs more Indigenous, especially Indigenous people, and also Black people in medicine. And I guess my opinions on BSAP mostly stem from my position as a black person. So obviously I'm gonna be supportive because it involves letting more black people in. But the emotions, the negative emotions I had towards it was actually like the feeling of applying to BSAP and then feeling like I only got in because BSAP. But um, that's actually not the case. Um, so we have the same standards, we have the same mark cutoffs, we have the same uh, consideration in all parts, except with one change that we have black interviewers on our panel and uh, diverse interviewers on our panel. And we have diverse people reading our essays in part. And so that's one thing that I was concerned about. And I think a lot of our classmates still think that, that we had a differential criteria and that somehow we're less competent. And that's the big argument that I've seen so many times and I'm talking about pre-med 101 in particular. I've seen many posts that say, oh, you're not gonna let in competent doctors because you have a BSAP program or whatever, and you're letting black people in who might not be as competent as the person down the street who was not black. And that's, that's the big uh, conflict that I have because it's easy to believe that you are not competent yourself. It's really easy to believe that. And I really don't have an answer to that. Like, am I less competent because I got into this program? I do not know. And just so, a co- very um, quick note before before you guys go on. Like, I also am pretty sure I had the BSAP panel in my interview. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I remember talking to McLeet about, like, you know, if we had the same interview day, she had this panel, like, I had the same people. Like, so mm-hmm. it's, e- even though, like, this is a program that you guys applied to and, like, it gave you guys that, that, diversity to like i guess Im- improve the fairness of the process and give you guys more uh yeah more diversity in the process like it wasn't limited to black applicants like i i had it too and i'm sure other people who applied also had those same interviewers as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah sorry justice yeah. go ahead yeah so the program is um my understanding is um you um you have like you have an application with the same uh, GPA requirements, the same uh, rigorous extracurricular requirements, the same um, MCAT requirements. Uh, what you have is you have 
members of the black community involved in reviewing the applications and members of the black community involved in the interviews because that helps with mitigating some of the um, unconscious biases that you know can I, I mean we're all biased so like um, it can be very easy to say that well um, um, like like what's the point of having um, um, certain like like certain groups of people in the interview or like the review stage um, but like it's easy to say that if you don't see the effects of not having like the black community involved in the um, in the application because four years um, ago there was only one black student admitted to the UFT uh, medical school class um, and um, well, I don't think anyone that reviewed the application that year was like intentionally trying to um, admit only one black student it just happened as a result of you know addition of multiple things and like an unconscious bias and like you know um and things that those things can build up right so um having like black members of the black community involved period is it's very very like has a big impact it's very very valuable in mitigating some of the bias um but like every, i i think that every one of my classmates that got in is is like deserves to be there like they're very smart very competent um it's just like having um this stream enables us to, um, I think it, it, it just like, it helps remove some of the, you know, the, such this, there's been such a long history of like, um, institutional or systemic barriers that black students face, right? Getting into medicine, right? So it helps mitigate some of that. And I don't know if it's a perfect system. I think that it does help. So there, there are things that that's required in the application stream. It's like an essay stating why you want to be, uh, why you are applying to the program, mm -hmm. and um, and really the essay is for you to just reflect on, like you know, what, how you identify as a person. I think, right? That's for me. That's what I did. Like this, it's like okay, this is my experience growing up. Mm -hmm. um, um, like even for me myself, I wasn't even too sure if I belonged to the BSAP program because I grew up in Nigeria. Like, and um, I, I, it's only after coming to Canada for grade twelve that I began to experience some of the, you know, uh, effects of racism or like feel like 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 see racism or like see the effects. Because um, in Nigeria, like you know, everyone, most people are, are black, right? So like, I didn't see, it, I didn't think about it, but here you see it, then you think about it a lot, and it affects you. And um, you know, I just talked about that, and just like you know, talked about my experience, and I was like, honest, like I don't know if this is a program for me or not, but like this, this is my what my experience, is, right? So good reflection. Mm -hmm. um, um, so like, like I said before, like it's it has nothing to do with like competence I, like i think like it, it like everyone that gets in through the program or through like without the program is very deserves to be deserves to be in medical school like mm -hmm. if you put in that much work and put in that much effort you definitely deserve to be here mm -hmm. now as a sort of you know going through that bsap again yeah so that's what you said actually a lot of people in the bsap even if you applied so the interview cycle you're still going to be interviewing with other non-bsap members in the same cycle of interviewers right but 
There was a couple things that I found really interesting at the BSAP application. One, applying through BSAP, my mother told me, don't do it. She said, absolutely don't do it. She's like, you know, these schools, they have their quotas, blah, blah, blah. Don't do it. You, you know, if you don't fill the quota, you know, you're putting yourself at a lower risk, blah, blah, blah. like all this. And, and I was like, no, get out of here. Um, there's some people that could actually find that fearful. Don't fear that. Now, the other aspect is I find it one thing. I find it as a way of recognizing that there's a systemic issue, right? And that they were trying to break down a systemic barrier for black people trying to get into medicine, right? What I found doing the essay is really understanding what it means to be black and trying to apply. Like there is one, like what I really gained out of it is like through this is not applying through this just because I'm black and I want help. No. And it's not really helping in that way anyways. It's realizing that we need role models. We need black leaders. We need people that look like us so that the next generation can look at us and be like, yes, that's what I want to be. Right? Because people don't really think about going into a field that's not like theirs in air brackets. Like for example, like my, uh, your father is a banker, you may not be thinking about medicine as much as the person whose father is a doctor or is a nurse or is a dentist or someone in healthcare, right? You just may not be thinking that. So the, the idea is you're, you're, you're trying to make role models in this field for the black community, right? That's one. The second one is, during my application, I didn't feel awkward about writing experiences that really, I thought, could only be understood by certain members of the black community, especially the East African community, or Sudanese, or Arab, right, that may understand what I'm talking about, because it makes it hard to understand my experience if you don't have that lived experience yourself. It makes it an extra effort. You got muted. Not shoot the ship without technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, you're on a roll. Always, always. Uh, where was I lost off of? It makes uh, it extra effort. Yeah, so extra effort, right? To uh, to explain when most people don't have to explain, right? Especially if you have the majority. Now, the biggest, biggest thing is when I applied. So I, I had two interview cycles. Okay, last year I interviewed. Yeah, I saw people, uh, black folks and people of color. But I never, I didn't connect with them. It didn't, it didn't feel, but this second year, I found a huge difference in my interview. There was one interviewer who was my second interview and they were of East African descent. And when I saw them, it was as though I felt like I saw my brother, right? And I relaxed, I opened up, I felt comfortable, I felt normal. And that interview and all those cycles beyond felt comfortable. That was the first time where I ever truly felt like, whoa, is this what it feels like to interview someone like of your group, right? Where you don't have to explain. And when I say group, I'm not trying to bunch us into groups or whatever, but like that's, you know, when you see someone who looks like you, you sometimes can be a little more relaxed. And that's how I felt. I was like, wait, I can be, I felt like I can be myself for a moment right that I wasn't it wasn't like I was exotic if that's the right word I felt comfortable and that made it really smooth and really easy and you know that that to me was the magic of the BSAP as well as meeting up with all the fantastic black medical students and black doctors 
that are involved. Like I met Caleb, Ariel, and Zikra. Actually, I met Zikra on interview day itself, and I think I was dancing in the interviews. <laughs> but I met Ariel, Caleb, uh, at least Ariel and Caleb, in the middle of the summer, along with a lot of the other black medical students from all of our, across Ontario, and it's been amazing. Like it, we we formed a real connection. We formed we're able to form friendships and into a class where we would otherwise be the minority and make probably would have been hard to talk to each other. Right? I think that was the magic of the BSAP. And it was, it, it, I find, I really appreciate Toronto for having that. Um, and I really appreciate Toronto is reaching out to the black community and really finding that there's an injustice, uh, that, that there's, there's these systemic barriers and that they're at least trying to tackle this um, and pushing towards that. Uh, but it is by no means making it easier that for a black person than say a white person. It's just destroying that barrier that is preventing the black person from applying. I honestly think that was like really, really well said. Like I had a lot of similar like feelings about it as you do. Um, and I even remember like on our interview, it was just, it was so nice to see like one, when you came out of the room and you were kind of dancing, because we were in the same like, um, like <laughs> Muhammad and I for some reason. So that was when we met. And it was just so nice to see how like happy and comfortable Muhammad was. It was really funny. <laughs> um, and it also made me feel a bit like more relaxed. And like everyone else said, when I was applying, like having to kind of like put into words why I wanted to apply through the program was at first it was very difficult, but then I was so happy and so proud of myself after that because I reflected so much on what it, what it meant for me to be a black woman trying to get into medicine and what my future might look like in medicine and where I wanted to you know, focus my advocacy efforts and all of that type of stuff. And I was really, really happy about that. And when, you know, during the interviews, like, I, like, I don't know, it was, I can't, I felt very uncomfortable, like when I actually got there just because I was like, well, is everyone looking at me? Like, is this person the person on the pre-med form who was saying that I don't deserve to be here because I applied through this program? Um, and that all of those feelings even like amplified when we started school. And I'm like, you know, if I say something stupid in my CBL, like do people think that I don't deserve to be here because she probably applied through the program and that's why she's here and she got in because it's easier for her. And so that feeling kind of follows me everywhere. And it's really tough. Like Ariel and I talk about this all the time, just constantly feeling that maybe your classmates feel like you don't deserve to be there. Um, and especially when people do post these things on pre-med forum or even like on our confessions page, when people kind of hint at this idea, it's just that it, it cuts really deep. It feels like you don't deserve to be here. and. It's, yeah, it's something I struggle with a lot still and I probably will continue to struggle with for some time. But I think the more I realize the reason behind this program and what it really means, the more I feel comfortable with the fact that I'm here, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I really, we're not ending the podcast now, but I really, 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 really that was a lot of reallys and <laughs> I couldn't speak. <laughs> Now, I really, really, really want to reiterate, thank God, that, okay, what we're doing right now is we're talking about our experiences as black folks. What we're saying is not against white people. It's not against other minorities. It's not, 
right now everything that we're saying we're talking about our experiences and our feelings and it's important uh not to feel as though we're you know we're we're othering other groups or what you know from that that's actually not it the whole point is to show that we're all human and we all have these experiences and just to understand where we're coming from so that we at least kind of chip away at that ignorance that can cause people angry and if like and when i'm saying ignorance everyone has some ignorance like I, there's topics i'm ignorant about there's topics every one of us here is ignorant about we're not saying you're idiots or you're dumb or big like whatever but we're trying to chip away at ignorance because ignorance is what begets hatred and 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 disconnection from one another okay um but yeah, thank you guys for sharing all that. I hope that uh, helped helped your friend there, Dilsha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that kind of remind me what you were saying. Um, so there, there's this like comic strip thing I saw, and like there, I think I commented it on like one of those posts on the page. I think like someone else commented a similar similar analogy, but it's like you know, there's two houses in the neighborhood on fire, and it's like you know, you you got to put out the house that's on fire you're not just gonna like put water on the house that's not burning right there's 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 one that's kind of in imminent like danger versus mm-hmm. the other one it's it's that's it's not happening to them so I, it's kind of a interesting analogy to compare like what's happening now like you know it's right now it's time to support our our black friends and our the black community because of what's happening right now but it doesn't take away from like other people like having their own stuff like they're going through as well but just right now like right now the house is on fire and we got to put out the fire before we move on to the next house you know mm-hmm. and you know what even the other houses are on fire go help yeah. the house you're able to go help out whatever you can go help out go help out right yeah. uh you don't need to focus on one specific house if you want to if you want to focus on this go ahead go share that news go but don't go bringing down another house in order to save mm-hmm. a, a specific house. We're not against each other, we're with each other. Um, but there's actually something here about houses, burning houses, and oh. Killer Mike actually talked um, uh, a little bit on this. He's, Killer Mike's a rapper. Um, Look at that segue. Yeah, it's your yeah. duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. I believe Killer Mike was talking about that in terms of the riots that's occurring right now. Um, you know, the riots are huge. Um, if anybody's getting harmed or killed or whatever from that, I really, really feel for those folks. Um, but understand that the riot is a riot against the system. Right. And... Um, realistically like I'm not gonna say what's right or wrong I can't but I can just at least say that people who are being oppressed so much all the time by the same system what are they gonna do what are they like what are they gonna do in terms of trying to stop the system yeah you know they, they're they're protesting it protesting it as much as they can and it will protests can get out of hand maybe it's not out of hand depending on on how you view it but it 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 is, uh, you know, there's a reason for the protest and there's a reason people are doing this. And I really hope that there are lasting effects out of this. Yeah, that's what I really hope too. Like, I hope that, like, that, like, 
you know, having this, like, I think this has brought everyone's attention to, to like a matter that sometimes gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope that going forward, um, we can keep this at the back of our mind and do things that can drive like, like, like long-term change. And like, um, like I hope this simply, I just hope this never happens again. I hope we never have a point where we have to do this again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I what I I am just I was just going to say that what I worry about is that you know people see this and they see this um one event and everyone's really angry and everyone is demanding justice and we're all trying to band together but what I worry about is that people forget that you know there are smaller issues that are really really prevalent within our society that all contribute to why things like this end up happening mm-hmm. and people forget about those issues because it's a lot more difficult to explain those to people like you know like they're not smaller but i guess like they're not as like violent but smaller things like you know microaggressions and all of those types of things that people don't see because it doesn't happen to them or maybe they just they just can't understand it they don't realize that those really small things kind of accumulate and lead to why we have a system that allows such such a really violent thing to happen mm-hmm. um and i think that that's what i'm worried about that you know we're, we're all we all band together now but then what happens when in a few weeks everyone forgets about this and there's still things like this happening, but just on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Just to add to that point, there's a couple like, I feel like there's a tool bag of statistics that people that are against, you know, real change in this, in Canada and in the United States mostly use. There's the statistic on black on black violence being the major cause of, uh, of shooting death of black people. And then there's the statistics of black people being more inclined to uh, commit crime and et cetera. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a tool back. Like every single time I go on popular websites like Reddit, et cetera, I see the same stats brought up and up and up and up. And the sad part is they were collected through what I assume to be correct channels. And these numbers, are probably like reflective of what's actually happening, but they're not reflective of what's happening 10 steps down. And those 10 steps down are what everyone forgets about. And that's the intricacy. Everyone wants to see black, white, but there's an intricacy behind that statistic. And the intricacy is that black people are more likely to be arrested for these crimes, that black people are more likely to be carted and taken to prisons and they're more likely to have charges brought up to them and actually be convicted of these charges. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of systemic issues is what I'm trying to get at. Systemic issues uh, that come from the individual person, but they add up to a systemic issue that cause a whole bunch of inequality that leads to that number, which might be true. Mm-hmm. And people forget that there's a whole chemical pathway to injustice. Exactly. The number is the end result. It's what we're seeing. We're not, but the reason behind it, why is what we really need to tackle is what you're mentioning. And I think Toronto's doing actually at least one step with the BSAP program with that regard. Um, And one one change we can already see is Chica was the one black person that was admitted. And in the class of the upcoming class, we have 24 students coming in. It's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. And yeah. Chica is the first. Congratulations. Yeah. And congrats. And Chica is the first black valedictorian, too. 
which is amazing. Female. Second black. And black female. My bad. Female, yeah. Black female, <laughs> um, valedictorian, and and that's 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 phenomenal, right? That's the that's the little step by step change, and that's how these numbers go up. And at, at least now, this is a little more representative, right? What is that? Like almost ten percent of the class. What's that? It breaks my heart. It, it still breaks my heart to see like how many. Like I follow Chica and she gets so many hate messages from people saying really? that you talk too much, like you're just, you're too like out there and you're constantly complaining about something and you're always mm -hmm. giving your opinions about stuff. And um, people saying that you, well, you know what? Like obviously she was the valedictorian, like she's black. She's the only black student. She's been yelling about it since the first day. So of course she's made valedictorian. And you know, she actually posted some of these hate comments just to show people like, she does this at like kind of like a personal loss to herself, but she feels like she has to keep ad advocating because like things like this get done, like things like the BSAP program get done, right? Because of people speak up and it sucks like how much she still gets. And this is in Canada, this isn't in the United States. Like people forget that like, we still have a lot of these issues here. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we do. And there was actually even like that Twitter post about her on the CP24. Um, uh, about the the new medical students and Chica, and um, there was a post saying I have I, I, I can't verify this right now, but about uh, you know I don't care if she's valid, I'm still not letting her treat me. Mm. Like what the hell? Mm -hmm. That's oh awful, gosh. right? And that's that's blatant. Now imagine all the people that are not overtly racist like that, right? So that's uh, that's the steps. That's the steps we got to do, and the steps we got to keep doing. In order for people to, like, we have to be involved in all sorts of positions so that we don't feel a specific stereotype any longer, right? You break barriers is the biggest way to break stereotypes. And to break barriers, uh, we need support and we need help. Um, and we need all of us to essentially push for that, right? Um, yeah. and, and, and actually, Ariel, as to what you're saying with people getting... Um, I guess uh, charged, like or even actively charged. Again, yeah, we could say they get charged more, but if you like listen to the things that people get charged for. For example, here I actually have a bunch here. Have you ever heard of uh, someone getting charged for gardening while black? What? Now they didn't actually get charged, but someone called them in, and just the likelihood of getting called in in and of itself already puts you at a non-zero chance of getting charged for something, right? Now, they didn't actually get charged, but just imagine the fear that this person lives with. Just listen to this story. This story boil, boils my, uh, I don't know the word, boils my humors. People's attorney but. Robert Burton Harris says this was a case of Gardening Wild Black, where you have people calling the police on, on mostly African-Americans for doing very mundane things. You think she moved into this neighborhood to be called a racist? This man is a friend of one of the three women whose complaints ultimately landed peoples in handcuffs, charged with three counts of misdemeanor stalking. So you got they were willing to call me a pedophile. They were willing to call me a gang-banging, gun-toting, racist, you know what I mean? And I was doing anything but planting the seed, you know, to try to help my community grow. Hey, the part about him coming out and farming and teaching kids how to farm, it's fantastic. Oh my God, you know, please do more of that, you know? 
but at the same time you can't get done digging a hole over here and teaching kids how to do it and then walk over and say I'm gonna burn your house down and run you out of here because you're white. But when Peoples went on trial this week, 36th District Court Judge Elanise Bryant acquitted Peoples siding with the urban farmer in a directed verdict and she believes this was a case very much about race. It was clearly, in my opinion, that these ladies had engaged in not only harassment of Mr. Peoples, but illegal conduct towards Mr. Peoples. They just strictly thought that their uh, so-called white privilege was going to work this time, and it didn't. That was one case where nothing happened. But this man was farming, essentially. Um, and he was, actually, there was a couple of trees that he colored, uh, the pan-African colors, red, black, and uh, green. And they called that on gang signs mm. and gang colors, which is, and that's, that's an example of someone who, who got, you know, called in on gardening while black. And we've all heard the jokes about, you know, a police officer pulling over a person for whatever reason. Right. And there was actually a person that was, guess this, a person that was pulled over for their air freshener. Sir. How you doing, man? You got your license, registration, insurance? Yes, yeah, sir. Okay, any weapons in the car? Nope. Can I get it from my glove box? Yeah, please. Can I ask you why you stopped me? So you can't have anything hanging from your rearview mirror. So you stopped me for my car air freshener? Yes, sir. How long was he following you for? About 10 to 15 minutes. And so you're just waiting, waiting for him to pull you over. The deputy starts questioning him about drugs. Got any marijuana in the car? Nope. Okay. You smoke marijuana? No. Mr. Cobra, when's the last time you did smoke marijuana? I never smoked. Never? I just said that. Okay. Oh, you said there's no weapons in the car? Nope. Okay, do me a favor, relax, man. You're still 10 and 2. It's just what I learned growing up, so my mom and dad always taught me to keep it hands 10 and 2, stay as calm as possible. So if you don't mind, this is just, this is why I'm relaxed at. Okay. Can I have you hop out? I just have a couple more questions for you, and I want to speak to you man to man, so that way you're not doing this, and I'm leaned over. Like I said, you're, you're showing me signs of deception, and I'd rather you just be up front with me, man. If you got to join, I don't... I'll smoke. Okay. How many times do you think he asked you about the marijuana? Over 10 times. So there's no Did you have any objection to me searching your car, man? Yes. And why did Colbert object? Because I'm like, you know, maybe as soon as he checked the car, he's going to try to put something in there. Maybe, you know, he's going to try to say I failed. Um, you mind doing some field sobriety tests? Make sure you're okay to drive, man. Are you serious, yeah. man? This is crazy. Wow. This is so crazy. The reason I want to put you through sobriety tests is your mm -hmm. eyes kind of look a little bit glossy. Really? And some people just have that, that glossiness, okay? And I have never heard of an officer pulling someone over for an air freshener. Do you think this is profiling? I think so. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. During the stop, Colbert says after 10 minutes of questioning, the deputy made him wait another 10 to 15 minutes while he checked his information. Now he's doing whatever in his backseat. Finding nothing. In the end, the deputy finally sends him off with nothing but a warning. And this final thought. I am going to give you a warning today, okay? Um, but maybe in the future, just like I said, man, if you got a joint, I don't, we're, we're not looking for a joint. So it's those little injustices, just going back to the day-to-day -day that you wouldn't feel otherwise, that can lead to these charges being increased, and then increased levels of anger and aggression. Also, you get, you know, lower socioeconomic status. You can't even get jobs as well if you have records, right? It's going to be harder for you to get out of the out of the, out of the, the hole, and then that all leads into it's just a big snowball of multiple effects, and we have to tackle that. We gotta break that down.
right? And that's a system we've got to address. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'm getting a little riled up, but there's one thing that really, 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 really bothered me. The last thing I want to share with you guys, and it's not to be political. It's not to be anything, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not targeting anyone political belief. However, there was some tweets by uh, the, the American president um, that I want, want to share with you guys. Just have an idea of how it sounds. So in light of the situation that's been happening, um, the president said, I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership. Either way, the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Frey, get his act together and bring the city under control. Or I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. Okay. One, and then actually furthermore, dot dot dot, continues, uh, and this, uh, these thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Yeah. That line, when the looting starts, the shooting starts? How? How is that acceptable? That, that completely broke my heart because I'm like, as a leader, that is just something that you don't expect that anyone could say like mm -hmm. it just it blows my mind i actually saw um like a side-by-side -side comparison between that tweet and a tweet that he made when people were um, protesting like the anti-lockdown kind of protests that were happening and it was all like oh yeah like people are free to protest let the american people speak their mind blah mm -hmm. blah blah and then now it completely like just he just completely switched everything Absolutely. and it's like, oh let's shoot these people if they're not like you know whatever mm -hmm. and it's just i just i don't understand how you could say such a thing absolutely and and it's you see this begets violence this makes a violent situation more violent this makes a more othering situation right uh mm -hmm. riders are going to get even more riled up and probably cause more damage uh, than expected as a result. Now he did try. To, there was an explanation afterwards, saying, "By by by the president, looting leads to shooting, and that's why a man was shot and killed in Minneapolis on Wednesday night. Or look at what happened in Louisville with seven people shot. I don't want this to happen, and that's what the expression put out last night means. And talking about the expression that he meant. However, however, there was a note to say here. That phrase, when the looting starts, the shooting starts." was actually used in 1967 first. And that was used by a Miami police chief uh, officer uh, named Walter Headley. And it was actually described as a plan uh, or his department's plan to crack down on protests in black neighborhoods. So the context of the quote, it's actually important to know too, right? You could try to use it for whatever, which way you're saying, but the, the, the background of the quote in and of itself is rooted in pretty racial um uh context right and and this is just to show this level of 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 disconnect that we have uh especially for the black community here that like all the way down from you know we're talking about the police or the daily daily interactions we talked about earlier but all the way up to the to the government right this is the president of the country saying this how can people feel safe Right? 
in that system. And what I found horrific in this whole ordeal too is it's like the whole a lot of black people are getting blamed for the looting, and there could be black looters, it could be any looters. But I'm saying there's a lot of looters that are not black. For example, I actually want to play this one last clip for you guys. Uh, is an uh, essentially a, a vandalizer who is not black. Um, that was one of the people that were spray spraying uh, a wall. And actually, ha have a listen to this. Here. This is not a, Lisa, a black woman who's putting Black Lives Matter. I just want you to know that when right, but y'all y'all doing that for us, and we ain't asking you to do that. Listen, don't 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 spray stuff on here when they gonna blame black people for this and black. That actually broke my heart to see too, because then that's a lot of you know like I can see the people trying to break system, but you know when they're when you, when you're going out to support the black rallies, the black protests and whatnot, you know you're going out to help them. You're doing what 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 helps them and what they want to do, not what you want to do. You know, be an ally does not mean you know. Uh, take the entire reins yourself and do what you think is best. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Yeah. It's it, the thing that uh, makes me really uh, sad because the other thing too is like these these looters and stuff. They probably reinforce the like the stereotypical image that people have about like black people. You know, like oh, they're they're like violent or whatever, like all those stereotypes that that you hear for like time and time again, and like these types of situations with with these looters and just the the ones that are not actually helping out the cause, but just kind of riding the coattail, like they're ruining it for everybody and putting like pushing everyone back so much in the progress that could potentially happen from these protests. It's really disheartening. I actually wanted to pose a question to you guys. I was wondering how you felt about just like, you know, people feeling very guilty because maybe they're just finally understanding or they're just finally starting to see the like barriers and the issues that black people face. Like what, I guess, would you tell people feeling guilty? Because I think I've had quite a bit of struggle with that um, over the past few days, just with like friends and other people in my life. So what do you guys think? I've been stewing in this, so um, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be honest. I, like I, I really feel that like I, this is, you may disagree with me here, but I, I, I don't think necessarily you should feel like if you're feeling guilty, that's that's fine. But they shouldn't like they don't they shouldn't have to feel continuously guilty. They shouldn't have to feel shame. Right, I, I think the fact that they acknowledge it now, that's good. And as long as they can continue to see these injustices, or at least they can act against it or not contribute to it, that's good, right? Um, you know, becoming an ally, that'd be fantastic, right? Helping out, be fantastic. Like if someone says, I feel so guilty, what do I do next? Just say educate yourself and show, show some good signs for education, right? Um, and go from there, really, or even let them feel like, why do you feel so guilty? What is it that made you feel guilty? If it's from your own actions, we can work that. If it's your ancestors' actions, then again, what you can do is build the next generation. 
So I don't, I don't, I don't think they should con have to continuously feel guilty, but just build on that. Yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. Like you know, some some people, you know, there are people who are just like just hateful for whatever reason. But there's also people who maybe like they they weren't aware of stuff as much, and then now some of some of the like social media movements and things, and maybe even this podcast. Who knows? But like maybe people become aware of it and like they feel bad, and that's yeah, it's. it's I think the guilt, in a way, is almost a good sign that that they're open to to change and learning and educating themselves and um, becoming an ally, supporting, um, and at, at the very least, you know, like reflecting on on you know your actions or inactions, um, checking in with your black friends, see like see if they're okay. Um, I think there's like little, little little things you can do to to help the cause you know you, not everyone's gonna become like like a Maya Angelou or something you know but like you can there's little things you can do I think to help support support the, the black community um, another point I, I just I saw this on a clip of like a youtuber that I watch I thought it was a really good perspective to think about um, you know we've benefited like us like we as in non-black people have like benefited a lot from black culture you know you look at like music for one example like a lot of the music we listen to today it has come from like black people and black artists sort of paving the path for other people and a lot of that stuff has sort of come from like their oppression you know they took the the lemons and made lemonade out of it and now like nowadays you know we're like we like non-black the non-black communities were enjoying the lemonade but we didn't have to deal with those sour lemons we we sort of adopt those like in the music industry at least you know we adopt those styles of music people are have the creative freedom and a lot of it is because of like the black people before us who sort of paved that path and i think even just music is one example but i think in general like we've borrowed a lot from their culture and because of that you know maybe there's some role for all of us to sort of speak up for the black community when they're in need and that's that's sort of something that I've been thinking about. I think it's, uh, I think it's important to show support. Yeah, yeah lemonade line was fire. <laughs> it's not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I really love the support. Like, I, 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 it just touched my heart when I got a couple of messages from friends, um, non-black friends, just like showing love and like just like checking in. Um, like it's really, it's really like, like it's for me. It's just fundamental, like part of being human, um, treating people with value and respect and dignity, and just like um, you know, like I, I, I don't like. I'm, I'm not gonna say that like emotions are natural, right? Guilt, like it's all what shapes us, what drives us. Guilt, fear, like um, uh, anger. Um, so. So like, I don't know, it's hard to say, but I think that uh, like what Dilshan has mentioned, like, um, you know, showing that you, showing support and showing that you care um, goes a long way. But it's not like, I don't know, I don't want to make this all about like trying to like, you know, talk to non-black people. I also want to talk to like, you know, black kids, but like, you know, 
uh, black kids like that are growing up in this environment and and like trying to decide and shape their future and they're trying to see you know, they, they're exposed to this and I don't know what what is going through their mind and like you know things how this is going to affect them but I guess I just want to say that um, you know you're valued and that you you know you can you can you can be whatever you want to be and that you can like you're like there's so much you know beauty in in who you are and um and um you know the sky is just a limit that you can excel beyond anyone's imaginations and it doesn't matter what what uh what's going on um um you're gonna be um spectacular i guess yeah mm-hmm. my heart thank you for sharing that man and uh yeah. i have a point i have a point too i was gonna share that with with the, oh, we'd love to hear oh, yeah we'd love to hear it man if you have it all right all right let's pull it up poetry corner is back so i guess all right i guess this is what i was, this is what I was looking forward to um, yeah okay all right let's do this yeah bring that phone right up to your mouth so it sounds super uh <laughs> traumatized realized we still live without justice what is fair what is dear what is dear uprooted yet still deeply rooted failed to answer what are you trying to hide selfish greed money i'm looking for virtues dignity respect selflessness TikTok, TikTok, time flies, what leaves behind its wings. I hope that our children may live to see a day where we all can be unequivocal, undeniably free to dream, to live, to explore without fear from those that, from those we thought were friends. One day, one day I hope that to be true, man. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, now, thank you for sharing I, I, that. Thank you, man. Thanks, no problem. Yeah. And, and I, original poetry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that's a, a very beautiful way to start, um, actually, to, to, to pretty much bring this to a close. We still um, have our boy Marcus. Exactly. So one, one last thing we're going to play for everybody is a message from Marcus. Um, so let's have a listen. Marcus, thank you for sending in. Um, it's a very, very, very thoughtful, thoughtful take. Um, so let's listen to it dearly. And hopefully there's no audio issues. Um, there shouldn't be. It's a sign. It's <laughs> <laughs> the sign of the times. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, uh, just turn this off. <laughs> that, that, that timing was spectacular. But, uh, 
because you normally I would have been breaking fast. But yeah, why don't we round this off with uh, what Marcus has to say? So Marcus, thank you for for sharing this, and um, let's give it a roll. Big shout out to Mo and Dilshan. Thanks for using your podcast this week to shed light on this topic. Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. Um, personally speaking, watching these videos, uh, these killings on camera have been emotionally jarring. I remember uh, seeing the video of Ahmed Aubrey's killing. It was two days before our anatomy bell ringer and I didn't plan to see that video that day. I mean, nobody does, but but when you when you see the young man struggling with the gun and you hear the shots being fired, you when you identify with the victim, I, I, I just internalized that video and it left me with the rest of the day just 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 with hate, feeling of hate. And, and it just like changed the whole trajectory of my day. I couldn't even study for the rest of that day. And, uh, and I seen this meme recently, um, which made me think of this situation, especially when it happened again with George Floyd, is that when you see these videos, you're, you're left being put in the position of a, a, an emotional war with yourself where you either A, numb yourself to it and ignore that it exists or you're forced thinking about it for the rest of the day, talking about it for the rest of the day. And, and that's the situation that we're in. So moving forward, I just want to, uh, I want to, first of all, I want to thank all those that are in support and recognition that, that, that recognize that this is injustice, that these injustices exist. And, and I thank you for your support. But moving forward, there will, this will pass. And there will be a time where you are, where you will be in rooms where you will witness these injustices, these acts of racism, uh, and in that situation, I want you to channel the emotion that you have right now when you're seeing these videos that want, that need to do something, that feeling of wanting to do something. I want you to channel that in the future when you experience these injustices. And I want you to check your colleagues, check your peers, check your folks, especially when working in positions of power. That's not only those that are working in law enforcement, but it's to the members of the government, to the members of the judicial system, to the future teachers, and more close to us, the future healthcare professionals, current and future, actually. Um, it's through these actions that we're able to dismantle this systemic racism, the systemic injustice that exists within our society. And with that said, uh, I just want to thank you guys again uh, Mo and Dilshan, and uh, hopefully we get to have some deep top, deep talks um, uh, under a different situation. And with that, thank you, Marcus, for sharing that. And thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Justice. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you, Zekir. Thank you to all the allies out there. Thank you to everybody that's been sharing, everybody that's been going, everyone that's you know spreading the news and spreading awareness. Thank you all. Um, and, you know, 
as Marcus said, this will pass someday, but I really, 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 really wish that we at least remember that this happened and that this continuously happens and that we can break that down at least so we can reduce this and to hopefully uh, stop this as much as we can. Thank you guys. And uh, do you guys have any, uh, I guess, any final words? It's wonderful. It was wonderful. It was amazing. Um, everything everyone said, everyone's contribution tonight. Um, I really, uh, I'm happy. Like, um, I guess I'm grateful that. Um, I, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, I just wanted to say that things might not look good now, but there's a better future somewhere. I'm confident of it, even if it might not be true. Thanks, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm I'm really happy that you know you guys gave us this opportunity to just express a lot of our feelings because sometimes it, it feels like you're not really able to do that without coming off as angry or complaining or whining. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be here to just talk openly. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. Uh... I don't usually get to talk about such deep matters, but uh, I'm glad that I got the chance to, to share this with you guys. Thanks, Zekra and Caleb. And you know, it's for for me too. Like this is a good learning experience. Like you know, not being part of the Black community it was nice to hear like each of your experiences, your like different experiences with with a common common theme of race and racial issues and. Um, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for sharing me and, and including me in this conversation. Oh, you're uh, the co-captain of Shoot the Ship. And uh, That's right. with that said, I want to say, everybody, um, go out, help the community. Uh, do it with love as much as you can. Love is what moves us on. It's, um, defeat ignorance as much as we can. Um, you know, show them who we are. So that we that, that this this level of ignorance goes away and the hatred dissipates we can um, all run. and with that said the ship has sailed and um we'll see you guys the all next <laughs> the captains are off we'll see you guys next week and uh we don't have music for outro we have a beautiful poem today uh uh by Maya Angelou and still I rise Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen, uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings and said, morning, how are you? Fine, thanks in you. It's amazing, wherever that abides in the human being, there is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white. Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed a celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells 
pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons, with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I'll rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak miraculously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising.